0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the PensCast Mailbag. I am your host, Garrett Behanna. As always, alongside me, fellow contributing writer at pensburg.com and co-host of the PensCast Mailbag, it's Robbie Noggle. Robbie, uh, how have you been since uh, last week's mailbag? Really, how have you been since our last podcast?
1: Pretty good. Can't complain too much. Uh, like we said before we started recording, basically, uh, same old, same old. Uh, everything here has been uh, pretty much... Pretty much the same. We can't complain too much, and uh, it's good to be back and, uh, get back and get back in the mailbag and answer some questions. So this week
0: we have seven questions, seven questions in this week's mailbag, all from Brian. So uh, Brian, I know you're probably listening. You've become a very dedicated listener over the last several months. So I'd like to uh, I'd like to send a personal thank you for. Basically constructing this week's entire mailbag. So thank you again to, to Brian again, if you're listening. If you want to be like Brian, if you want to submit seven questions of your own, you can do so by following the Skating Penguin Network on Twitter at Penguins FFSN. And follow Fans First Sports Network on Twitter as well at Fans First SN to get all sorts of great, maybe even different podcasts. If you're a fan of the Pittsburgh Pirates, I know there is a a Pittsburgh Pirates podcast that's now affiliated with Fans First Sports Network as well. The Pittsburgh Steelers with the NFL Draft coming up. If you're a Steelers fan, the Steel Curtain Network is affiliated with Fans First Sports Network as well. So I really like the momentum that we are getting uh, with the Skating Penguin Network and fans for Sports Network as well. But, Robbie, let's dive into it. Let's answer all of Brian's questions. We'll start with question number one. Brian wants to know, Robbie, what is the worst contract in NHL history? The first one that came to his mind was goaltender Rick DiPietro.
1: Uh, whatever contract Jeff Carter currently has. <laughs> um, uh, DiPietro is a really good example. DiPietro, I mean... If you were a hockey fan back in those days, I mean, this is we're getting way back. We're going in the way back machine here. But Ricky Pietro had the makings of basically the the future of goaltending in the NHL. He was going to be uh, the next stud in in between the pipes and a couple injuries after he signed his—he signed a mega deal, basically. Um, and he was supposed to be the future uh, for the Islanders and really as a, a Vezina kind of caliber goaltender, and then injuries. That's basically what it was. I, it was just injuries after injuries, they piled up, and he never never really amounted to anywhere near his what he was projected to be. And it's unfortunate, because the injuries aren't really something – I mean, that's something that happens. It wasn't like he was just bad. Uh, he just couldn't stay on the ice, and that's really uh, unfortunate. And, of course, if you're a Penguins fan, you remember kind of the end of Rick DiPietro's career – when he took the punch to the face from Brent Johnson. Uh, I believe he broke his eye socket uh, on that punch, and that kind of was basically the last we ever really heard of DPH. Or he may have popped back into the NHL a little bit for, like, a, a, just a little uh, a little bit after that, a start here or there, but never really uh, amounted to anything. If you remember the Ilya Brzgalov contract with uh, Flyers that ended up being a disaster, they thought he was the answer, and Again, never worked out. Uh, a lot of goalies, it seems like, maybe because they're such a focal uh, focal point of them, but I don't know uh, exactly. The other Kovalchuk contract was not great. Uh, the Zach Parise contract with the wild, wild good at the beginning turned into be, yeah, once he aged, you knew that was going to age poorly, and it kind of did. Uh, the worst in history, I mean— there's so much – it's so much different now with a with a cap system where you can't really afford to completely blow a contract. The Andrew Ladd contract with the Islanders is a disaster. So many good names come to mind for this question, and the Penguins aren't necessarily immune to that either. You have, as I kind of joked there, the Jeff Carter contract and the Jack Johnson contract, which the Penguins are paying off for, I believe, another two years. Uh, and now they soaked in the Michael G- Granling contract. So the Penguins have a bevy of hilariously bad contracts on the books right now that I wouldn't say the worst in HL history, but they're pretty bad for uh, the current situation. But uh, the, the DPH one's a great, uh, a great uh, example because it's, it combines just a completely abhorrent amount of years, an insane amount of money, and kind of a guy that was projected to be a future star in the league. Just flaming out, and again, not necessarily all his fault, but uh, the D.P.H.O. one's definitely. I, I can see why that came to Brian's mind uh, right off the bat because uh, it's it is such a albatross of a contract that even all these years later, it's just hard to really find anything uh, that compares to it. But again, your your kind of your recipe for bad contracts are mediocre player, long term and a lot of unnecessary money, and it happens from time to time, and you just hope it doesn't happen to your team, cross your fingers. Uh, So hopefully the Penguins can get out of some of this garbage they're currently in. But worse than NHL history, the DPHR one's definitely up there. The Kovalchuk one, though he was productive uh, for the Devils, that kind of just ended poorly with him going to uh, the KHL in Russia, though he did come back for a little bit. Um, that just, yeah, it was just never going to, to end well. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good candidates for this, but I have to agree with Brian that the DPHO one probably tops the list. Uh, question number two, uh, again, all these questions are from Brian. So this one's for Garrett. I'd like to follow up on what you guys were saying on Friday's show. That'd be last week. Uh, it's a weird time and maybe it's because we've been spoiled with success for almost 20 years, but definitely more excited for this off season. See the moves that could come and should come more than possibly keeping the playoff streak alive.
0: I guess it would depend on who you talk to and what they want when they when we talk about the Penguins. Some people, I some people I know, probably most people would probably want the po- the postseason streak to stay alive rather than a a lottery pick with a minuscule chance, a decimal chance of of getting Connor Bedard. But but I don't know. I mean, I remember I kind of I got really grumpy on on Friday's show because I was just frustrated at continually talking about Ron Hextall's shortcomings as general manager. And hopefully, like Brian said, and like like Robbie believes, that we're we're nearing the end of his tenure as general manager. But I, I have to agree with Brian because we have been spoiled. A lot of people don't. Re- I don't. A lot of people I don't think either realize that or really stop to think about what we've accomplished for the Pittsburgh Penguins as fans, as the team, uh, for the last 20 years, even going back to the the first uh, the first cups that they won in '91 and '92. How spoiled we've been for oh, geez, What 30 years? They're almost 35 years if, if yeah. my math is right. So. The playoff streak is one thing. I'm sure all of the players are fighting their damnedest to try and keep it alive. To try and get just punch a ticket to the dance, and maybe Crosby gets hot. Maybe the one of the goalies gets hot, and you can steal a couple of games. And you know we'll see what happens. If you can win a game two one or three two or four uh, three, we all know unless you're a, a first time viewer postseason hockey, playoff hockey is officiated differently. It's played differently than regular season hockey, not in the literal sense of the rule book changing, but just with the way the importance of the games, the referees are, are known to call the game differently. It's just, it's just a different atmosphere that you can't replicate throughout the regular season. So as I sit here now, Maybe it's because I am a pessimist, and would I I want the postseason streak to continue? Yeah, but at this point, if it meant that we could get rid of Ron Hextall faster, I'd probably rather take the draft pick, even if it's not Connor Bedard. Give me the lottery pick so that we can get rid of Hextall, and much like the Boston Bruins did last offseason. I don't believe next season is going to be the final year. I don't think that is just going to happen overnight where Crosby, Malkin, and Letang just all of a sudden stop playing at elite levels because all three of them have done that this season. So I would rather hedge my bets and hope for a positive change, a new general manager, hopefully someone who can properly allocate the 20-something million in salary cap space And we do have a question. Brian did ask a question about that. We will answer that one momentarily. But yeah, as of right now, as negative as that sounds, they haven't been an impressive team this year. They haven't impressed me really once. If they get into the postseason, most people are predicting that they'd be out in the first round anyway in five, maybe six games. So at that point, give me the higher lottery pick and it's going to sting in the short term. But ideally... The hope is that in the long term, maybe it would have better, more positive results for the team. So that's what I would rather have. I would rather have the postseason streak come to an end and having the lottery pick so that we can be set up heading into next season with perhaps more success. Question number three, and as we were just talking about it, here's question number three regarding the general manager, Robbie, what are our options as a replacement for Ron Hextall? In your opinion, does any one guy really stand out head and shoulders above the rest for what could be the Penguins' next general manager?
1: Yeah, so uh, as luck would have it, ESPN about a week ago did kind of a list of uh, coaches and general managers or candidates uh, for those positions, I should say. Brace on basically who's ready right now uh, and who could kind of be a dark horse or needs a little more maybe uh, experience as an assistant general manager before Uh, taking over. And the first name that kind of popped up was the current Seattle Kraken uh, assistant general manager that many Penguins fans will be familiar with, uh, Jason Botterill. Jason Botterill was in Pittsburgh under the Ray Shiro slash Jim Rutherford regimes in Pittsburgh. He was uh, very highly coveted, went to Buffalo, didn't work out there. And now he's in Seattle with Ron Francis. And all logic says that he will get another shot somewhere along the line, whether it be in Pittsburgh or somewhere else everything points to him getting another shot may've got a little bit of an unfair shake in Buffalo which many do it's not it wasn't exactly probably the best situation for a rookie general manager to walk into uh, another name that was on this list that I really that stuck out to me was Matthew Darsh he is currently the Tampa Bay Lightning assistant general manager he has interviewed for jobs in the past but never been offered uh, a full GM job and Anybody that seems to be involved with Tampa Bay, I think, is maybe worth taking a run at if they want the job. Because Tampa Bay is a top-class organization the way it's built from top to bottom. You've seen the talent that's come through there, the consecutive Stanley Cups, the, again, kind of like the Penguins. The, there's probably one, two, three, four at least four surefire Hall of Famers uh, on that team between Vasilevsky, Stamkos, uh, Hedman, and Kucherov. And, again, most of those guys are homegrown. Uh, again, Hedman, Stamkos, obviously, uh, were top three picks. But Vasilevsky, homegrown. Kucherov, homegrown. Uh, guys like Point were homegrown. Sergachev, yeah, they traded for him. But for the most part, he developed in that uh, in that system. So uh, a lot of good things have come out of there. And you know he's going to be – he is mentored under Steve Eisenman. And uh, their current general manager, where the Cubs have come from. So that's a name to keep in mind if and when the Penguins do make a general manager move this offseason. Getting into some other ones they they mentioned, they mentioned Megan Duggan, who was a former United States Olympian with the women's side. And Cammy Granato, who is the son of uh, former uh, Penguins assistant coach Tony Granato, who is currently with the Vancouver Canucks as an assistant general manager. You never know. One thing that really sticks out to me and one thing that I'd want them to focus on is rebuilding the analytics department, the hockey ops department. It was so successful in the early years of Jim Rutherford before Rutherford decided to kind of tear it all apart uh, and go beefy because Tom Wilson was so far inside his brain that he felt like he had to find a solution and kind of threw that entire philosophy of what won them the cups out the window and... Rebuild, get focused on the analytics. There's a lot of good brains out there. Even your general manager doesn't have to be like the top analytics guy, but a guy that trusts in them enough to build up the hockey ops department um, to, to make it a key component of the front office. Because whether or not you like talking about analytics in, in hockey, you can't deny that it's a, a crucial or an integral part of the game. Uh, today It's everywhere. You can't get away from it and it is going to be like that going forward and in fact it's just going to get more and more integral as the game continues to modernize so a lot of good names i really like i was doing some reading on matthew darsh um, he's going to be highly coveted at some point and the penguins are kind of coming into this era now where maybe they need to get a guy that can has experience producing homegrown talent or has the knowledge of how to produce homegrown talent and Matthew Darsh is only 45 years old. He's not, uh, he's not very old at all. So he'd be a younger, a younger face than the Penguins are, are used to. That's for sure. Uh, so uh, a good name there to keep in the back of your mind. And also, you can't really ignore Jason Botterill uh, as well, just because of his ties to Pittsburgh. Uh, given most of the people that he worked with are have since moved out, but it's it's hard to just ignore um, his ties to Pittsburgh and the success he had here and what he learned here. So. Uh, another name w- would be Jason Bartero will definitely keep in mind because um, he's going to be in play, I think, if if and when the time comes. Question number four, uh, do you think the season would have played out differently if Mario and company uh, were still the owners and in charge?
0: I don't think you would have seen anything up to this point. I think if, if Mario a- a- and Burkle, they were still in charge, changes were likely to happen during this upcoming offseason. I never got the sense that even though Lemieux was a hockey guy, even though he has been around the game, he's certainly been around Ron Hextall, I don't have the sense that he would have interfered with the day-to-day operations during the regular season. However, I do think had they still been here heading into this offseason, I have to imagine there would have been at least a tiny sense of frustration, knowing, knowing how important he feels about Crosby, Mulkin and Latang. that sense of frustration, the, the sense of disappointment, the fire Hextall chance. I mean, Robbie, has there been a general manager in penguins history, even during the ups and downs of the, the, the Shiro era, even during the latter half of the Jim Rutherford era. I can't, I can't, recall distinctly recall a moment where fans were that visibly frustrated where those chants were so audible that i mean it, it was trending on twitter the hashtag fire Hextall was trending on twitter i think that they would have reached a point where they said this is not working we need to go in a different direction to maximize what's left of this era, and we say that all the time. To maximize what's left of this era, but I, I really mean it because Lemieux knows himself that time is limited. Crosby, Malkin, and Latang are closer to the end than the beginning. You know, had they still been in charge, obviously the goal would have been to maximize whatever success you could have gotten out of those three. And even though the Fanaway Sports Group has largely been a nameless, faceless collective. You don't buy a franchise like the Penguins with the star power that they had when FSG acquired the group. You don't buy the Penguins with an aging Crosby, Malkin, and Latang without realizing or having some sort of sense that these guys, they're elite. They still are elite, but they're closer to the end than the beginning. Fenway Sports Group likes making money. You make money through having a successful regular season and you make money, especially in the postseason. Uh, They are no strangers to their successes with the Boston Red Sox and Liverpool FC having success under their ownership. So the more I think about it, all roads lead to the termination of Ron Hextall. But again, those are just hunches. That's a hunch from me and a hunch from Robbie. Uh, But if Mario and Burkle were still in charge, I have to imagine that the end result, what we're likely to see this summer would have probably happened either way, whether it was Mario owning the Penguins or FSG owning the Penguins, I think all roads do eventually lead to a replacement at the general manager position. Question number five: Other than the main four, uh, Mario Lemieux, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Yarimir Yanga, what other two to three players define the Pittsburgh Penguins?
1: Those four, obviously, the Mount Rushmore Penguins hockey, and there's really you have to think those are guys who as closest as. Uh, cemented into those positions assuming that the penguins don't get another just talent that somehow measures up to them and you have to make the decision to knock one of them four off but yeah so those four are obviously your mount rushmore and your next two or three i think if you your first two have to be chris latang and mark andre flurry flurry because he was the again he was the first piece of this generation Uh, He was the first overall pick in 2003. The Penguins even traded up to that number one slot to get him. It was just such an important building block. He was here for three cups. He had moments during all three cups. Obviously, 2009, he was the main guy, but the 2016 and 2017, uh, he wasn't, but he still uh, had his shining moments, especially in 2017. Uh, The fan base has never really stopped loving him and he's never really stopped loving pittsburgh and he still has the friend group here in pittsburgh with malkin uh crosby and letang so flurry is just such an integral piece of what this franchise the turning point in this franchise after uh so many dark years and i mean he went through some of the dark years as well coming in that early but um, so flurry has to be one letang you saw it on Sunday night against the Flyers, what he meant. It's almost like his 1,000th game crept up with very little fanfare until it was actually here. And again, I saw it pointed out on Twitter. What people have to remember about him is he wasn't preordained like Flurry, Crosby, Malkin. He was a third-round pick. And third-round picks are basically, I mean, you're just taking a shot. And... Thank goodness it worked out for the Penguins, and he's always going to have his detractors in Pittsburgh. It's been well chronicled.
0: Oh, I see what you did there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how
1: how how people have been down on him for basically his entire career, and every at every turn he goes to prove you wrong. Like, even last night, even against the Flyers, there were people on Twitter just lamenting the fact that he was still on the team, and I cannot get over it. He is going to have his number retired in Pittsburgh. He is probably going to be a part of some kind of statue in Pittsburgh outside the arena. And he has a case to be in the Hall of Fame. There's no he is the best the best defenseman in Penguins history, which is really saying something considering that Paul Coffey and Larry Murphy both played for the Penguins. Sergey Gonchar played for the Penguins.
0: Jack Johnson played for the Penguins.
1: Jack, Jack Johnson right up, right up there as well. Um, it's phenomenal what he's meant. And he's been – and this kind of gets into another question that we hear uh, a little bit later is he is still underrated and underappreciated in Pittsburgh. And I don't know if he's ever going to fully – from the diehards like me, you, the team at Pittsburgh, and the guys that really follow the team and have for years, yeah, we know what – what he means and we appreciate how much he uh, has contributed to this generation of penguins hockey and fully believe that he he is the third head of the three-headed monster uh, so to say but he'll never get I don't think he'll ever get that full appreciation that he deserves Uh, and that's really unfortunate but I think you saw on Sunday night how much he means to this franchise the penguins spare no expense when it comes to uh, honoring those guys they've done so well with what is now three thousand game players which is freaking remarkable especially for crosby and Latang, when you think back about crosby with his concussions and neck issues and Latang with strokes and all this other stuff that's gone on and he had what well, he had a, that neck injury in 2017 that he had to get fused uh could have been a potential career a jeopardizing injury as well and a yeah, thousand games it's incredible and yeah, and then the third player, if you want to do three, to me, it's between three different guys, and that's Ron Francis, Paul Coffey, and Kevin Stevens, and Coffey was kind of, Coffee came, he was the first sign that, okay, we're going to compete, the first superstar that Mario played with in Pittsburgh. Francis was the missing piece that put them over the edge and basically helped, put together some of the greatest years in franchise history. Uh, And Stevens was just going to define what the Penguins were all about. Uh, So if you want to do another, even a second Mount Rushmore, I would say Letang, Fleury, Paul Coffey, and I would give the nod to Francis just because, I mean, he's Ron freaking Francis. Another thing, this, I was going to answer this question a bit different, but Brian did specify players. If I was picking three or four people, In the franchise that defined the organization, I'd probably still put Fleury and Latang there, but I'd also have to put in probably Mike Sullivan and uh, Bob Johnson uh, as my fourth because uh, those two guys have obviously, Johnson was the one that basically made them a champion. And Sullivan's the only coach to win two Stanley Cups in franchise history and kind of was the, the turning point of the second half of the Crosby Malkin era. So, Really good question that you can go a bunch of ways with. It just kind of, again, gets back to how spoiled we are, that the decisions on stuff like that can be very difficult. Question number six, uh, can we give Josh Yowie and Jesse Marshall uh, a little appreciation for their great work and analysis?
0: You don't have to ask me to sing the praises of both Jesse Marshall and Josh Yoey both of whom have been guests on this very podcast when we were affiliated with Pennsburg officially in an official capacity. However, I know that both of them have been incredibly gracious with their time to us. Uh, they've been incredibly easy to work with. Josh specifically, um, I, I believe we've had him on the podcast twice. He has been so incredibly gracious with his time, because I'm sure when we asked for him, when we asked for him to appear on the podcast, I think it was around trade deadline time a couple of years ago. Um, and I, I'm sure he's getting quite a few media requests as one of the more uh, notable beat writers. Uh, for the Athletic, especially within their NHL and Penguins coverage, so I can't say enough good things. I don't know if Josh or Jesse listen to this podcast at all, but if they do, I, I absolutely want them to know that their work does not go uh, unnoticed by myself, and I'm I always make sure to to give credit to where it is due. They produce some tremendous content for the Athletic, and what I will say is I, I will I will look into my crystal ball if there is a a general manager change, if there is something to that extent this off season, what I can guarantee is that we will have one of them, one of either Josh Yowie or Jesse Marshall on an episode of the podcast later this summer to get some of their uh, perspective, some of their insider information, uh, because they are obviously very plugged into the daily happenings of the Penguins. So If something crazy does happen like that later this summer, you can guarantee Robbie and I will be here to break it down, but I can guarantee you that we will get the expertise of either Josh Owey or Jesse Marshall. They have been tremendous to work with in the past. Uh, Again, so gracious with their time. I'm sure they handle quite a few media requests throughout the season. And to come on this podcast when it was just a fledgling little thing uh, affiliated with Pennsburg and to give this podcast some legitimacy and credibility for that, uh, I, I will forever thank them for, for lending some of their insight and their reputation to this little podcast and the audience that we've continued to grow over the last couple of years. So both Yoey and Jesse, they are tremendous, tremendous, tremendous. And I, I can't, uh, I can't thank them enough for what they've done for this podcast and the, the tremendous content that they continue to put out a day in and day out with the athletic. Question number seven, our final question of this week's mailbag, Brian wants to know, Robbie, you kind of alluded to it in your last question, but who is the most underrated Pittsburgh athlete? You can go in a couple of different directions because he doesn't really specify what sport or position, but do you have, what is the most under underrated Pittsburgh athlete?
1: Yeah, I think Chris Letang, as I mentioned before, has to be on that list. Uh, There's a lot, I mean, every city that has a sports team has, uh, I guess, I don't want to call them cult-like athletes because that's a little bit uh, different, but I mean, underrated athletes that are truly good and contribute to their teams that uh, just kind of flew under the radar, I guess. I was always, Garrett, you probably remember Dan Kreider, uh, who played for the Steelers Yes. um, in the kind of the early Ben years, won a Super Mm -hmm. Bowl. Uh, I think you got to put his name on there. He was... A very integral part to what the Penguins, or yeah, the Penguins, the Steelers did with those uh, Jerome Bettis rushing attacks. Uh, I'm going to put Willie Parker on that list. Um, Fast Willie. Fast Willie. I mean, a signature Super Bowl play, and just really, he was a really, I know his window wasn't very long, but he was a really, really good running back uh, during his time in Pittsburgh, and a very integral part of a lot of success for the Steelers in those early Ben years. So i got to put Fast Willie on that list. There's like a billion linemen that the Steelers have gone through over the years that probably don't get enough love. Obviously, we can complain about the line now, but they've had some truly uh, great linemen throughout the years. Um, It took forever, but Alan Fanica finally got his his due. I think Heath Miller has to be on that list. Um, I know that everybody loved Heath, but uh, what he provided I think kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Um, James Farrier, I think, has to be on that list. And uh, going back to the Penguins, Marty Straka, maybe? I think people kind of push aside how great he was in Pittsburgh. Uh, He played on some bad teams, but he played on some good teams as well. Uh, So you can't really just completely sweep him aside. Uh, A lot of great guys on the early Stanley Cup teams as well that contributed. Uh, Phil Bork, Bob Airy. I don't know how underrated they were, but... Uh, key points, that kind of people may uh, skim over. Uh, the Pirates, The with the Pirates is, I, I, there have been underrated players. They've just been so bad for so much of my life that it's really hard. Like, okay, Andrew McCutcheon was obviously a superstar in Pittsburgh, and you can't really say too much, but I guess guys like Russell Martin and Francisco Cervelli. What um, about A.J.
0: Burnett? Would you throw A.J. Burnett in
1: there? I, he was such a personality that I, I don't know if I'd put it, just because... He was such a personality. Like he came in with a huge pedigree. Like he That's was true. a great pitcher. He had played for the Yankees. He had thrown a no hitter. He had won a World Series. So I don't know if I can really put AJ Burnett on that list, but I will put like Francisco Cervelli and Russell Martin on those lists because they play a hard position and they were again fan favorites and provided a ton of great memories and contributed to what I mean what was a a very short stint but a very good stint. Uh, of Pirates history uh, in the modern era, which I think, I mean, if you've ne- probably never seen the city like that. And hopefully, I mean, fingers crossed, we get to see it again someday. But underrated. The Tang's obviously the one that sticks out. And that's why I mentioned him uh, in the earlier question, just because he just feels underappreciated uh, by this fan base for what he's accomplished. So uh, there's a lot of great options in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, you can pick from for every sport. But yeah, good question because. Uh, That's something that uh, we could talk about for hours. We go through rosters and stuff, but um, a lot of great options for that question.
0: All righty. With that, we have completed this week's mailbag, and we have completed this week's edition of the PensCast mailbag episode. Again, if you'd like to contribute to future editions of the PensCast mailbag, you can do so by following the Skating Penguin Network on Twitter at PenguinsFFSN, and, and follow Fans First Sports Network on Twitter as well, at fans first sn. Well, this will go live on this episode will go live on Tuesday, uh, April fourth, and we will be back later in the week as the Penguins begin their final stretch of games. As we wait and see if they can officially clinch a postseason berth or if they will be in the lottery for. Connor Bedard. So we will be back later in the week to break down the latest happenings around the Penguins. Until then, I have been Garrett Bahanna for Robbie Noggle. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Penscast Mailbag, and we will talk to all of you again very soon.